0: Good morning, friends. Welcome to New Life Midtown. Would you please stand up? Let's put our hands together. Let's sing songs of faith, songs of victory. Oh, yeah. Come on, sing with me.
1: good to see you all here. I trust you all made it here safe and sound. I think the sun is shining. Am I right in saying that? That's good. When you're locked in the building, you really don't know what's going on outside. But here you are in the house of God, ready to give your worship, ready to give your praise, ready to receive what the Lord wants to do. And to that, we say, amen. Amen. You know, I was thinking about a line in the song that we just sang in our weakness he is bringing us through i was meditating on it on that and i suspect that each person here can honestly say that they have a weakness in their life we all have proclivities towards some kind of weakness and a lot of times it's not just what holds us back it's it's the ability that we want to control something but we can't we cannot control every outcome of our life that is a weakness and i just want to say here today that you've come into a space, into a house of the Lord where you can exchange that weakness and give it to the cross, give it to the Lord and receive grace and truth in return. The Apostle Paul, when, when he was praying to the Lord, he had what he called a thorn in the flesh. The Bible called it a, a messenger of Satan that came against him and he prayed three times that a, a particular situation would be removed And you know what the Lord said? He said, my grace is sufficient. It's made perfect in your weakness. See, sometimes we can't control our weaknesses. We can't control the outcome. But what the Lord is asking us to do is surrender that weakness to him. And again, receive grace for that weakness. That's a good word. Can I hear an amen, church? So perhaps you're out here today or perhaps you're watching You can honestly say, Seth, yes, I do have a weakness. The Holy Spirit's bringing something to me right now. But friends, we have the opportunity to lay it at the feet of Jesus. Let's let the rest of this service be a space and a place where we give the Lord our concerns, our anxieties, and in return, we receive the grace for healing. Amen? Amen. Let's put our attentions towards the screens. Let's read Psalm 89 as an act of worship. Let's read. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty and your faithfulness Surrounds you. Let's pray, beloved, here this morning. Father, Son, and Spirit, God Almighty, we come to you presenting our weaknesses to you. And in return, we thank you for the grace of healing. The grace of healing. Yes, the grace of healing. We surrender control of our life and we pick up that grace. Continue to minister to us as we sing songs of faith in Jesus precious holy name we pray and say, amen. Amen. Family, let's boast in our weakness. Let's not hide it this morning. Let's lean on his strength. Let's praise him for his strength.
0: much much deeper i
2: gonna go back into this song but I just felt like the Lord was just singing over us I just felt like he's present right now and we want to lean into it because we want more of him Amen? amen we want more of him more of his love we want more of his joy we want more of him poured out upon us so, when we sing this song again, just receive his more. Amen. Receive his love. Receive the pouring out of his Spirit upon you. We want more. Hallelujah. We want more. Yes. We yes. want more
1: of you, Lord. Holy Spirit, come and rest upon us. Can we sing, Holy Spirit?
2: so good. He's so good. Come on. Tell the Lord how good he is. Come on. Give the Lord some praise. Shout unto the Lord with me. Hallelujah. Psalms 34 says, I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Our pastor talked this morning. I'm telling you in for a treat today. Hallelujah verse 8 says oh taste and see that the lord is good does anybody know that the lord is good i say do you know that the lord is good he goes where we can't he does what we cannot do but he's always good amen no matter what's going on around us we have to know that the lord is good all i'm asking you to do is just taste him i dare you to taste him one time and you'll see that he's good amen amen Hallelujah. Well, bless the Lord. My name is Sidron, and I'm here to encourage us this morning. And last week I talked about when the squeeze is on, what comes out of you. And I'm still reminded of me hitting my pinky toe on that coffee table. Yeah, the squeeze was on. And when I hit, have y'all ever hit your pinky toe? Y'all know what the pinky toe is? That's that little nub of a toe that's on the end of your foot. And when you hit it, it's got every nerve in your body. And whatever's in you, come out of you, Amen. I mean, hey, come on. Am I the only one? Huh? I'm bouncing up and down. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. Bless His name. <laughs> but what it was in you, come out of you. We had a call about two weeks ago, and I'm here to encourage us. And the lady she called us, and the pressure of life was on her. She went to the doctor. She had had a pain in her side for a year. And she finally went to the doctor and they said, they took an ultrasound and they said, there's a mass on your side here. It could be cancerous. She called us up. She's not a believer, but she called us up and she said, you know, and crying and, and, and we prayed for her. And they said, Hey, everything, God is going to bring you through this. Two weeks later, she went to go to have the biopsy done. And as she get in there, they take another ultrasound. And when they take an ultrasound, I promise you this is is awesome. When they take the ultrasound, the mass was gone. Completely gone. Amen. I say completely. God is still in the healing business. God is good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, taste and see that God is still doing miracles today. This actually happened. When the squeeze is on, she knew to call somebody who got the faith of God in her. She called several of us. All I'm saying is, oh, taste and see that God is good. I say God is good. And all the time, God is good. So when the squeeze is on, the Bible tells us in John, First John chapter 4, it says that the Lord is in us. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in this world. So when he squeezes me, when he squeezes you, guess who's coming out? The greater one. Amen. So when we're being pressed on every side in our finances, in our relationships, in our minds, when we're pressed on, watch out, devil. Here come the Lord. Expect a miracle because the squeeze is on. You squeeze me, it's going to come out. I'm going to shout unto the Lord with the voice of triumph. I'm going to give his name glory. I'm going to give him praise. Hallelujah. When the squeeze is on, the greater one on the inside comes out. Somebody shout unto the Lord this morning. Hallelujah. We bless the Lord. We bless the Lord in this house. Welcome. Welcome. I just want to encourage you that even in your finances, it was Peter who was squeezed by the tax collector and Jesus always has a plan. He said, go down there and catch a fish and in his mouth, is going to be money for you and for me. Go pay our taxes. When the squeeze is on, the greater one comes out. Amen. We have a giving liturgy here. There's four ways that you can give in this house. When the squeeze is on, give more. I dare you, give it. God is good and he will give unto you, amen. This is our giving liturgy. If you will pray this with me. Our Father, you are the abundant giver of all good things. Train us to delight in your holy dependence. Lead us to honor you with all of our resources Free us from the deceitfulness of greed and earthly riches. Teach us to give generously with open hands and joy-filled hearts that we might receive abundantly and flourish for the sake of others and your purposes in the earth. Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah. If you would grab your children grab them and squeeze them close we're going to pray over them and the way we release them in this house so that they can go and learn of the Lord as we recite our father's prayer amen our father who art in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen amen children you are released oh he's running he's going to get it go get it bring some back to me amen amen well we bless the lord in this house if it's your first time visiting with us we welcome you in this house we know we are a welcoming house amen You could have been any place in this city, but God brought you here. And I believe that you're going to be filled before you leave this place. Amen. At this time, we want to take time to just meet and greet one another. And like I always say, meet somebody that you do not know. It can turn into a lifetime relationship. Amen.
3: What's up, guys? Christian Tonkin's here with a few announcements for New Life Midtown. The first one is First Wednesday Worship is coming up this Wednesday. It's an hour of worship and prayer and intercession up at New Life North. Also, Kindred Encounter
2: Weekend, which is the Kindred Retreat, is coming up. Registration is open, but spots are limited, so make sure you get in there and sign up. If you need more information... Go out to the Welcome Center, and they will hook you up. And lastly, Focus on the Family is hosting a marriage
3: conference called Resist the Drift. If you want more information, there's a booth out in the foyer the
2: fireside. Uh, So go and find out information about that. And that's all that I have for you. I'll see you next time. I might see you in a few minutes. So, yeah. Deuces.
3: (laughs) There he is right there, guys. The man, the myth. We see you. Yo, I'm just going to let y'all know I was in a little bit of a mood first service. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, it was a good mood. Hey, eh? it's happy birthday, Christian. Christian, uh, Christian's birthday's tomorrow. How old are you? 34. Somebody laughed. <laughs> That's so inappropriate. Oh, man, it's good to, good to have you in the house. Good morning, church. How's everybody doing today? I love that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Oh, man, it's good to be in the house of the Lord today, weathering the roads, and, man, just sticking it to snow today. (laughs) Just take it. Um, Hey, a couple of really quick things, and I do have have an assignment here today that's uh, even morphed a little bit between the two services, so I want to give myself plenty of time. First and foremost, I want to say to all of you guys who are serving in kids' ministry, man, we love you, and we appreciate you so much. Yesterday we had a training for about sixty of our serve team that work with kids, and you guys really are some of my heroes. I've been a children's pastor as long as as well as a youth pastor for many many years, and I know the struggle, and the struggle is real. Um, you just never know what you're going to get when you have kids coming in, what state of mind they're going to be in, and you don't get the luxury of just being here and just soaking in the Lord, and like you're like you're in the battlefield of babies and bottles and butts and butt wipes and the whole deal. Like you are in the battlefield. And I just want you to know, man, we just appreciate you so much. Our children's ministry has doubled. This time last year, we were averaging 55 kids. We're averaging about 120 right now. And um, yeah, it's amazing. And I'm here to tell you, man, if we're going to continue to steward the faith from generation to generation, what's happening up in those doors, week in and week out, that matters. That matters. That matters. And so we're going to continue praying for our kids and, most importantly, our parents and those that serve and work with our kids. Secondly, I want to let you know that Team Southeast Asia, they have hit the ground and they are safe. And that's all I got. And uh, as I get more information, I will make sure that I let you guys know. But please be praying for this team of seven women, seven or eight. It's, it's, It's seven. Seven women. And uh, yeah, they're the Magnificent Seven, that's right. And they are going into some deep, dark, unreached areas. And uh, they have a very clear assignment ahead of them to bring the gospel to the unreached. And so let's continue praying for them. And finally, I do. I just want to punctuate this Resist the Drift conference that is going to be taking place. And one of the ways I'm going to be doing that is by setting out a prayer focus for the month of February. I, I want to attack this... I want to attack our marriages because our marriages are under attack. So what I want to do is I want to attack them by rallying around our marriages, covering our marriages, praying for our marriages, praying against every lie and every scheme of the enemy that would come against our marriages. So I'm going to be sending something out this week in the weekly eblast and by the way, I don't know who can help me with this, but I see so I feel like I'm in a church in Africa because everybody is like trying to fan themselves off right now. So somebody help me bring this Air down and make it cooler. I mean, I'm all right with preaching to an African church, but like, yep, y'all, a bunch of white folk, and y'all, y'all, right? <laughs> y'all, are like, it's hot in here, Pastor. That's right. It's right. Good, it's good for you. It's good for you. Blessed are those who are persecuted, right? <laughs> All right, enough of these shenanigans. Go see the, uh, out there, we're gonna have something for you to sign up for the Resist the Drift conference that's taking place in less than two weeks. It's taking place two weekends from today, but it's taking place on a Friday and Saturday. By the way, our very own Todd and Carmen Swank are gonna be MC in that. And our very own Jonathan and Bonnie, Bonnie Swinder are gonna be leading worship at it. So, yeah, you'd be good to go, man. It's, it's great, I was there last year. All right, turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, this morning to the book of John. Chapter four. And things have gotten a lot clearer for me between the two services. I feel like the Lord has invited me to lean in on something a little fresh between these two services. And so I want to begin in John chapter four. We're going to start in verse four through nine. But let me pray before we dive in. Holy Spirit of the living God, I'm asking that right now that you would speak to every single one of us, that you would speak to us afresh, and you would speak to us anew. Lord, I know the majority of us in this room, we've read John a thousand times. And Lord, a lot of us, we already know what the preacher's going to preach out of John 4, but I'm asking you'd surprise all of us, even the preacher. You'd just surprise us, Lord. Lord, I'm asking that you would open up our hearts. I'm asking you would drop a seed of revelation inside of us, Lord, that messes with us. Drop a seed of revelation, Lord, inside of us that draws us closer to you, that peels back every veil, that keeps us from seeing you from who you are. That ignites a fire inside of us. And Father, I pray that the people that each and every one of us are connected to, Lord, that they would be impacted and affected by the work of the Lord that takes place under the ministry of the word today. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. Now, Jesus had to go through Samaria. And the interesting thing about this is that logistically, Jesus did not have to go through Samaria. So, beloved, when you read this, what I want you to know is that he had to go through Samaria because he was under divine marching orders. He had to go through Samaria because there was a lady you're going to find there. Here in a few minutes, as we keep reading, that there was a lady that was there that Jesus had to meet. There was a lady there that was disqualified, who was on the edge of society. There was a lady there who had already disqualified herself. Because of decisions that she had made multiple times over and because of the circle of relationships that she was a part of, that they had disqualified her. And yet I'm here to announce you today that for some of you in this room who feel like you have been disqualified, that God has not seen you as disqualified. He had to go through Samaria because there was a woman there that God was shining his light on and saying, son, I need you to go and meet with this lady. I need you to go and reveal who I am to this lady. I need you to go and bring spirit and truth to this lady. So as we read verse five, he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. It was near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, he sat down by the well. And it was about noon. And for those of you who are not familiar with the social norms and the social practices Of Jesus' day, women didn't go to the well at noon. Women went early in the morning or they went when the sun went down. And this was one of the few places that women were allowed to go in order to build friendship and community. It was just the social norms and practices of that day. So, this is one of the few places that women could go where they could be exclusively connecting to their friends, to their girlfriends. What's interesting here is that this girl doesn't go when all the women go. This girl goes when she knows that nobody else is going to be there. She goes when it's hot. And she goes explicitly and exclusively when it's hot because she knows that she's going to be alone, and she's going to be alone because she wants to be alone, and she wants to be alone because she's been pushed out from the circles of community. And Jesus knows this. And so he tells his disciples that we've got to take a different route because I've got divine appointment, that is going to be a little bit more inconvenient. That is going to be a little bit more arduous. It's going to be a little bit more tiresome. It's going to be a little bit more fatiguing. And we see this revealed in Jesus's own body. Jesus kind of plops down at the well and Jesus is tired and Jesus is thirsty. Look at the links that God himself will go to in order to meet somebody exactly where they're at. Friend, you need to know today that no matter what you are locked up into, no matter what you're bound in, no matter what you've done, no matter what you have thought has disqualified your life, God will rearrange his schedule and the schedule of the people that are around him to meet you exactly where you are at. A lot of us have this idea in our head that God is waiting for us to make the proper kind of changes in order for us to qualify ourselves to meet God where he is at. And friends, I just want to slice that up today and just let you know that that's not how our God operates. That God is always the one who goes first. God is always the one who is inconvenienced. God is always the one who pursues. God is always the one who initiates. And God is always the one who begins engagement with us exactly where we are at. Jesus told it like this. Imagine if you were a shepherd and you had a hundred sheep. And one left, you wouldn't just sit back and wait for that one who left to figure out his or her way and make his way back to you. The shepherd leaves those 99 because there is a cadre of comfort and protection and safety. And he goes and he pursues that 99. And I have this sneaky suspicion that either here in this room or somebody watching online, God is pursuing you today. He is hot after your heart today. Verse 7 says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? For his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman is startled. She's startled. She's taken back. And she says, why are you asking me for a drink? You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. For Jews, look at this, do not associate. Jews do not associate with Samaritans. I'm telling you, there's so much here. And this is something I feel like the Lord is asking us to lean into, this notion that Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So before you think I'm just trying to hit something cultural, I'm trying to hit something that is deeply sociological, that everybody that is in this room is connected to some people group. You're connected to some social circle and whatever social circle you and I are connected with, there are other people in other social circles that it is culturally taboo for us to associate with. And we find that God is constantly and subversively, sometimes it's very overt and sometimes it's very subversive where God is constantly trying to get us out of the circles that we associate with and into other circles that we don't associate with. I'm gonna keep breaking this down until we get it today. Look on the screen, if you would, at 2 Kings chapter 17. There is a biblical reference that shows us a little bit of the historical situation that is unfolding. That took place hundreds of years before the story we just read, where Jesus meets with this Samaritan woman. A little bit of a biblical history lesson here. There's a king by the name of Jeroboam. Jeroboam was complicit in dividing the kingdom of Israel. Israel consisted of 12 nations, 12 tribes. We can call them 12 tribes or 12 nations. And under David and under Solomon, Israel was one united kingdom. And then through a series of events, through a series of sinful events, Jeroboam takes 10 of these tribes and forms what is called the northern kingdom of Israel, and the two remaining tribes are called the kingdom of Judah. So what was once a unified kingdom of 12 tribes is now divided 10 to 2. And the divided region of northern Israel continues going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into sin. And a part of their divine discipline for their sinful acts over the course of many generations as they essentially and eventually become exiled from their land. And this is where we pick this up in 2 Kings chapter 17. Read with me if you would, verse 21. When he tore Israel away from the house of David, they made Jeroboam their king. And Jeroboam enticed Israel away from following the Lord, and he caused them to commit a great sin. The Israelites persisted in all the sins of Jeroboam, and they did not turn away from them. Until the Lord removed them from his presence, as he had warned through all his servants, the prophets. So the people of Israel were taken from their homeland into exile in Assyria, and they are still there. So the time when 2 Kings was written... The author of Second Kings is saying not only was Israel exiled, but they are still there. Verse 24, the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon and from a lot of different places, I'm not going to try to pronounce, and settled them now in the towns of, listen, Samaria to replace the Israelites. They took over Samaria and they lived in its towns. So this right here is the historical benchmark of what's taking place that we see the fruit of hundreds of years later, when this little parenthetical statement that says Jews do not associate with Samaritans, this right here is the origin story of that. When the Israelites came back into the region of Samaria and now there's all of these pagan, heathen, godless idol-worshipping nations that have now moved into their land, and Israel has got no more fight in them. They just settle back in, and they start marrying people from these other countries. And when they do, they start kind of taking the the social and moral customs of the people around them into themselves. And so now we've got several things that are operating here. Number one, we've got this racial difference. Where Jews look at Samaritans as these half-breed they're not pure. They're not a pure people. They're not a pure race. And so there was, this, there was this racial prejudice that was operating from pure Jews in Judah towards the Samaritan people. So when you see the Samaritan woman saying, why are you talking to me? That's, that's part of what's coming up. The second thing, and we're not going to go to it today, but you see it in Jesus' conversation with this lady, is that there's also religious differences that are taking place. See, the people of Samaria, the Samaritans, they didn't believe that the proper holy place to worship God was in Jerusalem. Now, we know, most of us, that David conquered Jerusalem, and he made it the holy city, and his son, Solomon, came up and built a magnificent and beautiful temple whereby all the people were to worship God. But when the kingdom separated... The people in northern Israel said, we don't want to make that trek all the way down there. And so they set up a new place to worship God on a holy mountain called Mount Gerizim. And for hundreds of years, the cultural and religious appropriate thing to do for Samaria was to worship God on this holy mountain of Mount Gerizim. This is how tense things got, that in 122 B.C., that there were some people from the tribe of Judah that came up and they actually burned the temple at Mount Gerizim. Like, like we're talking about bad blood here, bad blood, Hatfield and McCoyle style, We think about, like, when you think about genocide that's taken place or that took place in Rwanda, you think about Serbia and Croatia, you think about Russia and Ukraine, you think about Israel and Palestine today. This is not new news. Constantly we see, as a result of sin and social systems, you see people groups that are at odds with each other. And we see it here creeping in more and more bold and more and more uh, overt. You see people groups, even within Christianity, politically, you see that we are now making ourselves enemies, one with another, of people that don't think the way that we do, people that don't agree the way that we expect them or assume that they should agree. Guys, this is not new. But something that I find really interesting is that God, through Jesus, is carrying the people of Samaria in his heart. It might be difficult for some of the people of Israel to understand this at the moment, but that God loves the Samaritans equally. He loves them to the same degree as he loves the people that Jesus is coming to minister to. And we know this because there's these little subtle references where Jesus is kind of subversively messing with their ideological systems. He tells this story in Luke chapter 10 where somebody asks him, a teacher of the law asks him, about essentially like following the right commandments and doing right. And then there's this question that pops up where Jesus says, well, hey, love God and love your neighbor. And so they're trying to like get down to the letter of the law and they say, well, who is my neighbor? And you guys know the story. Jesus tells a story of a man who gets jumped, gets thrown over to the side of the road and a Jewish leader walks by and a Jewish rabbi walks by and all of these esteemed people of the Jewish people Just walk by this guy. And yet then, Jesus punches everybody in the gut, and he says, oh, yeah, but there's this one guy who walks by, and he takes care of this man. Picks him up, puts him on his donkey, goes to a hotel, pays the hotel keeper, and says, listen, make sure you take care of him, bandage him up, give him food, and whatever else you need to pay for him, I'm going to take care of it. And then we find that Jesus does the unthinkable, so scandalous. Jesus goes, oh, and by the way, that guy was a Samaritan. (sighs) What are you doing, Jesus? Later in Luke's gospel, Jesus tells another story, and this is not a story. This is a true account. There were 10 lepers. All of these men are unclean. All of these men are social outcasts. All these men have a physical condition that, according to Jewish law, pushed them on the edges of interacting with society, and they run into Jesus, and Jesus kills all of them. And yet there's one that comes back and says, thank you. Who is that one that comes back and says, thank you, church? Those people. Them. Jesus, why Why'd you have to tell us that it was him? You could have just kept that to yourself. But what Jesus is doing is he's dropping these little subversive seeds that are undoing. They're kind of working from the inside out the social and religious prejudices that the Jewish people have against this minority people group called the Samaritans. It's going to be very important. I just just hold that. So I need you to understand this was no chance encounter. Jesus didn't happen to go through Samaria. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Jesus didn't happen to stumble upon a gal who was getting water. He knew exactly what time of the day she was going to be there. And he knew that she was wanting to be there alone because she had already disqualified herself from the community of people. What is it that you have allowed to disqualify you from God? What is it that you have bought into has been the one thing, the unthinkable sin, that God just has no patience for? For this woman, it was the fact that she had been in six relationships with men. Six relationships. In fact, when Jesus is talking with her, the the conversation gets a little technical the conversation gets a little theological and Jesus is trying to hook her heart and he's trying to hook her heart by healing the very place of brokenness that has fractured her from the the ecosystem of the community and so what he does is he says hey i want to talk with you more about this but before i do why don't you go grab your husband and the gal says i don't have a husband and Jesus says you're right Because the truth of the matter is you've had five husbands. And the man that you're living with right now, he's not your husband. So now essentially I want you to think about this, this gal. We don't know how old she is, but in the course of her life now she's had, she's been in and out of six relationships with men, five of whom were of some sort of marital status. Now, Nowadays, depending on what circles you run in, religiously or socially, that might be frowned upon. But on that day, that was totally frowned upon. And so here's this gal. She wants to keep to herself. She's, got, she's, she's not got a man that she can really confide her life in. She can't go to synagogue. And now we find out she can't even hang out with her girlfriends and show she's edged out onto the margins of society. And what I love about who our God is, is our God doesn't let her stay there, right? Our God goes looking for her, and our God finds her. And in this one move, what we have to understand that in this one move that God is addressing and he is confronting and he is shattering every boundary that the human soul erects And that the enemy works with the human soul to erect. And that social systems and social cultural norms erect. To keep us separated from God, God goes and he addresses every single one of those boundaries. There is no political affiliation that I won't go through in order to reach your heart. There is no racial division that I won't address in order to reach your heart. Heart. There is no moral scandal that you've been involved with or that you may be involved with now that I won't touch and expose and bring into the light and heal in order to reach your heart. And over this magnificent conversation, because it it shifts, right? So Jesus begins to poke on the right things in her heart, and she begins to talk about theology. Her heart opens up into worship, and then Jesus begins to now reframe worship for her in a way that includes her into worship. Her entire life, for generations, all she's known is, you guys get to worship there, and we get to worship here, and you guys say that you worship the real God, and we have to worship over here, and I want to worship God, but I don't know if I can worship God, because I've got to worship God on this mountain, and you guys get the real mountain, and you guys get to worship over there, and listen to all the division. Listen to all the division. I'm a woman, you're a man, you're a rabbi, I'm not. I've made mistakes, you're sinless. And to top it all off, your people get to worship God. And man, I want to worship God. We talked about this last week. We just kind of edged this in here. At the end of John chapter 2, we found this startling verse that says that Jesus knew exactly what was in the heart of humanity. Friends, listen, you need to know this, that if you have a heart, if you have even a sliver of a heart that desires to know God, that desires to be in relationship with God, that desires to be in right standing with God, God will move heaven and earth to bring truth to you. God will move heaven and earth to reveal grace to you. God will move heaven and earth to encounter you in a way that shatters every preconceived notion that keeps you distant from God. The language of the enemy is to convince you that you are an enemy with God and that God is an enemy with you. But what you need to know is, is that God is not your enemy, God is not your enemy. So we make ourselves enemies of God, but God is always extending the olive branch of friendship to humanity. You are not an enemy with God. And even if you were, God so loves the world that he demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners and enemies with God, God goes after even his enemies. Now here's the beautiful part of the story. That after Jesus does something with this woman that he doesn't do with most anybody else in the entire gospel of John, Jesus explicitly reveals his cards. Like, read it. Like, throughout John, he's always being a little subversive. He's always being, but like this woman, he says, listen, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one you've been waiting for. I'm the one you've been reading about. I'm the one you've been praying about. I'm the one you've been hoping for. It's me. It's me. I'm here. at the end of this conversation with her the disciples roll up and let's find out where we're at here in the story now the disciples roll up and let's take a look at John chapter 4 verse 27 I'm trying to move this to a particular place just then his disciples returned and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman but no one asked what do you want or why are you talking with her jonathan said this in our staff meeting on tuesday and i resonate with this you ever been in situations where you kind of popped in into some conversation that was already going on, and you had enough of your wits about you that you realized, man, something like something 's happening here something 's happening here. I happen to believe because Jonathan believes it that when these disciples rode up and they saw what was going on man they're not they 're not going to be snarky they 're not going to be sarcastic they 're not going to be antagonistic they 're not going to poke. They're realizing, they're discerning something holy is taking place here. After Jesus reveals to this woman that he's the Messiah, she runs off. And the very reason why she came to the well to get water, she leaves that behind and she runs into the city. And this is the part of the story, friends, to be really honest with you, that just messes with me. We find out in verse 28, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and she said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Now, here's what I'm thinking, and maybe you're thinking this too, that I've lived, if I've lived that kind of life, if I've lived that kind of checkered life, if I've made decisions that have made me the butt of all jokes when people get together and talk about me in quiet places, if I've made decisions that have put a scarlet letter on me socially, if I've made a decision that I now have to run from every other human being in the heat of the day, this is the very thing that I don't want the Messiah doing. And... This is the very thing that I don't want to run into town and tell everybody, come see a man who told me everything I ever did, to which they're going, we already know everything you've ever done. And it's not great. Like, you've got to lean into this. What in God's name is happening right here? Of all the things, she could have ran into the town and said, come see a man who could be the Messiah and left it at that. She could have ran into the town and said, come see a man who has broken down the scriptures in a way that I have never conceived. She could have said that. She could have said, come see a man who talked about spiritual water versus earthly water, but she didn't do that. Her first leading statement was see a man who told me everything I ever did. Friends, you need to know this today. Number one, God knows and he cares about everything you've ever done. And not in this way. See, like growing up, I kind of had, like, we all had this view of God. Oh, God sees and God knows. And there's, like, this ominous sense of I'm watching over everything. It's like the eye of Mordor. <laughs> well, you're just cruising along in the shire and like, there's the eye of Mordor, Right? Like that's the way we think of God. And when Jesus said, or this girl is running out and she's saying, come see a man who's told me everything I ever did. I don't, hear a, I don't hear an ounce of shame in that. I don't hear a trace of condemnation in that. What in God's name, woman, would make you run into the very town that despised you and rejected you over the very thing that you were rejected and use that as your playing card to say, maybe this is God. I've got a sneaky suspicion that the way Jesus talked about her life. See, not only does God know everything you've done, and not only does he care about the things you've done and the things that were done to you, but God understands why. God understands why. Now, I'm not trying to make the chosen gospel, but I went back and I watched this episode. And by the way, let me tell you, if you just want to get wrecked, I was going to try to play it today, but it was going to eat into my preaching time. But I went back. It was like seven and a half minutes. I was like, no, you don't get that chosen. (laughs) I'm going to tell everybody. Then go watch it on their own. Use your own seven and a half minutes. (laughs) But Jesus begins to go, and he begins to explain to her that he understands why she was in and out of relationships. Now, again, this is director's cut. This is commentary. But what it does is it gives us a window, I think, into the way that God operates. Jesus knew why she was bouncing in and out of relationships. And he cared about the why. He cared about the why. He cared about the why. Some of you guys are trapped in some things right now, and it's so difficult, and it's so hard for you to get it. And you need to know God cares about the why. He cares about what got you in there. And not only does he care about it, if he cares about it, he's able to address the why. Why? This is what you got to hear today, that he cares about the root enough that if you'll let him, he'll get to the very root so that you don't have to keep walking in the cycle of shame and condemnation that you're living in right now that keeps you ostracized from him and from his people because he cares about the why. And God can get to the very root of what has you stuck in your struggle and in your stronghold and in your shame. I want you to see what happens to a woman. I want you to look at the level of transformation. Here's a woman who was doing everything in her power to run away from people. And now she's running to the very people that she was running away from because she had an encounter with the grace of God that heals. That she had an encounter with truth that put all of her life story into a divine perspective. See, when we think about our story, we think about our story from an earthly vantage point. We think about our story of either what we've done or what's been done to us and we think about our story from the lens of condemnation and shame and justification and God is looking above our story and he has a view of your story that you need to see that will liberate you into a type of boldness that will turn somebody who used to hide into the greatest evangelist of a city. And here's what I need us to catch today in the very few moments that we've got together. That this one encounter that Jesus has, one encounter, one encounter with somebody who's hiding from him, and yet she is so desiring to worship the living God. Friends, you need to know there are people that are around you, if not right here in this room. There are people that are around you that are hungering for an encounter with God. There are people that you know that are connected to your social systems that want to know who God is, and we have written them off because they don't fit our political, religious, ideological, social, or racial boxes. And yet, yet, one person goes into a city and unlocks the redemptive history for that entire city. Watch, I'll show you. I'll show you. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 tells us this that when Jesus is resurrected from the dead, he goes to his disciples, and this is what he tells them. Uh, And I'm skipping over the remainder of chapter 4. The remainder of chapter 4 tells us that when this lady goes back into the city, you know what happens? They believe. They believe. And there was enough of a critical mass, there was enough of a quorum, there was enough people that believed in that city that it actually began to reverse some things that were operating in that city that was keeping that people group in that city condemned and bound. You're going to see this. Watch this. So Jesus comes back from the dead and he speaks to his disciples and listen what he tells them. This is, this is the Acts account of the Great Commission. Chapter 1, verse 8, he says, But you will receive power. And you, followers of Jesus, will be my witnesses. Where? To Jerusalem? Okay, we got that. That's easy. To Judea? I understand that. And to where? To Samaria. God cares about minority people groups. God cares about disenfranchised people groups that have a heart to know who he is. God cares about our enemies. You're going to receive power to go and make things right with your family. Are you seeing this today? Like look at what Jesus says after this. You're going to receive power. To be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea. In Samaria hold that. And to the uttermost bounds of the world. But God is not content. With us bringing the power of God to the uttermost bounds of the world. When the step family and the half family still hasn't been reconciled. By the reality of the goodness of God. So Then. Fast forward to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, persecution hits. There's a guy by the name of Saul. We'll talk about him later. And Saul is going from town to town, and he's persecuting the early church. And so this commission in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, wasn't being completely fulfilled. And it took persecution, the fire, the squeeze, in order for the early church to do what they were commissioned to do eight chapters prior And so we find in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, now that the early church is spread, they're scattered throughout that early region. And one of the places they're scattered to is this place called, say it with me, Samaria. Philip, who we become introduced to Philip because he's waiting tables and he gets promoted to become a deacon, becomes an evangelist to the city of Samaria in Acts chapter 8, verse 15. Do we have that up there, Drew? Acts chapter 8, verse 15. Tells us that Philip preaches the gospel in Samaria. Verse 15, and when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. So here's what happens Philip goes to Samaria under the power and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, preaches the gospel, drives out, casts out devils, and all of a sudden, now listen, there's revival that is happening in the very town that Jesus went out of his way to meet a young lady at a well. The seeds of revival were sown in John chapter 4. We're seeing the harvest... Of what Jesus did, watch it, by one divine encounter with the person that had disqualified themselves from the grace and the goodness of God. You don't know who is around you that might be the key to their entire family. There's always one. There's always one. You might be in relationship with someone that you've written off that might be the key to reaching their entire school. There might be revival that happened in denominational systems because there is one person that has disqualified themselves from the grace and the goodness of God and they go to coffee with you every week. They're one of your vendors. They share a cubicle with you there might be your next door neighbor and they might be the person of peace that unlocks redemptive purpose in the social systems that they're connected to. Let me, let me break it down like this. Let me break it down like this. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are thrown into prison and when they're in prison, there's a Roman soldier there that is tasked with making sure that they don't get out of prison. And so an angel of the Lord shows up at midnight, opens up the prison doors and this Roman soldier, this hardened War-battled man is fearing for his life, so much so that he is about to commit suicide because he thinks that all the prisoners have left. Come on, follow me, follow me. Paul pipes up and he says, listen, we're all here, don't harm yourself. And as an act of kindness, following the power of God, this man gives his life to the Lord. Anybody know what happens to his family? Anybody knows what happens to his family? This man, this man was an ex-soldier in the Roman legions of war. What do you think his children experience from this man? Probably not a lot of coddling and kindness and goodness. And they come back, and this man is so radically and remarkably changed that his entire family system comes to Jesus. You might be interacting with the linchpin. You might be interacting with the key. Look at the end of Acts chapter 8, I think it's verse 25. Acts chapter 8, verse 25. Right, so revival starts happening in Samaria, and Peter and John, they send the big dogs now. Right, they send the big dogs. The apostles come down and say, hey, listen, right, something's going on here. We gotta find out what it is and put our stamp of approval on it. After they had further proclaimed, so Peter and John come and they get people now filled with the Holy Spirit in Samaria of all places. Samaria. The places where we have the parenthetical statement that says Jews and Samaritans
0: don't associate.
3: We don't talk about those people. Those people. Them folk. Watch what happens. After revival hits, after they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. We're talking a complete rerouting of the trajectory of their entire future. Why? Why? Why, church? Because Jesus inconvenienced himself under a God given appointment at the heat of day to go find a woman who had already disqualified herself from dignity and destiny. What else happens in Samaria? Thank you for asking. Look at Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Yeah. <laughs> Because y'all thought that was just one moment. Like I hear all the naysayers in my head right now. Oh, Pastor, revival can happen anywhere at least once. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and say it with me. See me, I told you so. I told you. Enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and increased in numbers. Look at how, look at how the very place that was once marked, their identity. Are you catching this? Their very identity was the ones that were ostracized on the outside looking in. We're, we're, not, <laughs> we're, we're, we're not a part of the in crowd. That was their identity. Okay? Now their redemptive history has been touched so radically that anytime time gospel movement takes place, it includes Samaria. Acts chapter 15. Go to Acts chapter 15, verse 3. Look at this one. So the church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia, and say it with me, say it loud. They told how the Gentiles had been converted, and this news made all of the believers very glad. Somebody that you consider an enemy right now, a political, religious, racial, social, gender enemy, could be the very key to the redemptive future of entire people groups, of entire institutions, of entire social systems. And here's the question. Will we sit down and be inconvenienced to have a God-ordained conversation and trust God with the rest? Come on, stand with me to your feet this morning. God loves the Samaritans. I got to pray into this, guys. Come on, let's turn this into a prayer meeting for a moment. Lord, right now we cry out. Father, we cry out to any and every person that might find them in this category where we would consider them enemies. Father, we cry out for our political enemies. And God, we pray that you would reveal the goodness and the grace of God. Father, we pray that whatever side of the political spectrum or political ideology people are, are steeped in right now, God, I pray that they would find you. And Lord, I pray that any of the ways that we have ostracized or marginalized or any of the ways that we have been compatible, any of the ways, God, that we've put a stain or tainted the goodness of the gospel because of the way that we have villainized people, Lord, I'm asking right now that you would change our hearts in order for us to be the greatest intercessors on behalf of people right now, Lord, that we might consider enemies. Lord, I pray right now for people that are in different denominations, people that see you differently and worship you differently and engage with Scripture differently, and God, I pray you'd meet them. And I pray, God, that you would set them on fire by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that people, I pray right now, people, God, that, that, that hated charismatics, I pray they would come to know the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that people that have spoken ill of tongues and, and prophecy, God, I pray that you get them. I pray you get them, God. I pray that you would chase them down with the love of God and cause their spirits to come alive with new wine. Lord, I pray right now for all of the social division in our nation. And God, I pray that those that we would consider social enemies, God, that you would capture their hearts with the goodness and the grace of living water. God, I pray for living water. Lord, I pray for all of those that are connected to us, neighbors and friends, Father, we pray right now, even for those people that are at our schools that we don't like, at our parks that we don't like, at our jobs that we don't like. Lord, those people that just annoy us and rub us the wrong way, the brash and abrasive ones. Lord, I'm asking that you would give us the ability to see beyond the quirks and the idiosyncrasies. That you would give us the ability to see the root, the root of the behavior. Oh, Spirit of the living God, I'm asking that you would help us to rise above that. Give us heaven's perspective. I'm asking, God, that you would give us a radical love for our enemy and for our neighbor. Lord, I'm asking that you would transform this church and you would transform this city. I'm asking for the power and the reality of the life and the kingdom and the living God to become so real to us. Lord, I'm asking that you would just set us up with conversations with all kinds of people. People that think differently and look differently and believe differently. And God, I'm asking that in those places of encounter, I'm asking for the Holy Spirit to show up and mediate and translate and officiate and facilitate. And I'm asking for the goodness of God to cover every encounter that we have with someone that doesn't know you. And God, I pray for the women at the well, God, that are in our city. God, people that are hiding. Lord, people that have disqualified themselves because the church has disqualified them. Lord, people that are afraid to step into the doors of a church because of negative experiences, God, I pray that you would take us to them. Oh, God, and I pray for redemptive history to be written. Pray for futures, God, to be altered and rearranged. I pray for lives to be upended by the goodness of God in the name of Jesus. Friends, I'm just going to make this as simple as I know how. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus... And you want a relationship with Jesus. You want to know this good God. You want to know the God who doesn't disqualify you. You want to know the God who moved heaven and earth to find you. You want to know the God who sent his one and only son into the world, not to condemn you, but to save you. If you want to know that God personally, I just want to invite you to lift up your hand right now. I want to pray for all of you, but I want to pray for people specifically that want to come into relationship with the living God through belief in his son, Jesus all across this room, would you just open up your hands and pray this with me. I want you to pray, Jesus, I receive your life. I receive your grace. I receive your truth. Jesus, would you heal me? Jesus, would you forgive me? Jesus, would you set me free? I believe you're the son of God. You died for my sins and you rose again from the dead to give me new life. So I receive new life, and I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Come on, clap your hands today to the Lord, church. (laughs) Man, I'm telling you, you are not disqualified. And I'm asking that if there's anybody in this room that you're kind of like edging yourself out, I'm asking that God would come after you like a freight train, like a bloodhound, that he'd find you. And that he would just begin to unravel all of the things that you've told yourself or a parent or a pastor or an elder or a deacon or anybody that has told you something that has got got you locked up in shame and isolation. And I pray that he would rip it off of you and break it off of you and liberate you with his life and with his goodness. I pray it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Ministers of the table, will you come forward today and help us celebrate this moment by coming to the table of the Lord? Come on, y'all. This is good stuff. you guys are wanted in this house, and you're wanted in God's family, and you're wanted at this table. So I want to invite every single one of you guys to come, receive the bread, receive the cup, go back to your seat, and we'll receive it together.
4: Dip your heart in the streams of life Let the pain and the sorrow
3: Holy Spirit, would you come right now? And Holy Spirit, would you hover over every single one of us as we become recipients and partakers of the table of life? Holy Spirit, would you meet with us, heal us, set our hearts free in the presence of the Lord, change the way we think, change the way that we see you so we can change the way we see ourselves and we can change the way we see the world around us the night when Jesus was betrayed, he sat with his closest friends, many of whom at one point were enemies with him. And he took bread and he broke that bread. You can break this. And in that moment, he was saying, I'm going to allow myself to be broken in order for all of us to be restored. I'm going to experience brokenness in my very being so that Your relationship with God can be restored. Your relationship with yourself and the world around you can be made whole. So, beloved, in the name of Jesus, I welcome you to receive the body of Christ. Let us eat. And in the like manner, he took the cup and he says, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. There is a new agreement, there's a new contract. It's called a covenant. And in this covenant, God says, I'm going to extend grace and mercy to all who receive. So, beloved, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I announce to you today your sins are forgiven. Not because of anything you have done, but because of what he has done for you. Receive the blood of Jesus today. Uh, Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Hey listen, I I felt this in worship. It's going to make going make this real quick. I feel like the Lord wants to restore your divine anticipation. And what I mean is I I think the Lord wants you to begin to expect and hope for and anticipate goodness to come your way from him. So I just say let it be in the name of Jesus. Let's sing the doxology together.
4: Praise God from whom all
3: Friends, if you prayed that prayer of salvation for the very first time, or you prayed it again, and you really felt like there was something that took place in your heart, I wanna invite you to come up and share that with one of our altar workers right here. If there's a way that we can pray for you for any other thing in your life, finances, healing, marriages, relationships, faith, uh, let us pray for you today. Otherwise, may the Lord bless you as you're sent out of this place. Don't forget the Resist Drift Marriage Conference that you can sign up for in the foyer. And guys, we'll see you guys next week. Love you so much. Bless you.